All right, good to have um, all of you at church today and good to see all the students here. Um, so good to see all of you. I remember um, today we're talking about loving the week and I was thinking back on my school experiences. Um, I remember, I think I was in the fourth grade, I was going to this school, it was a private Christian school. I just kind of tr- moved from um, an all-black school in Oakland, and then my parents um, sent me to a Christian private school, and everyone was white, I guess, and I was only Asian. I remember that, and um, I remember one day my teacher called me up and said, oh, we want to ask you to do something if you could help us, and so I thought it was a great privilege. You know, at that age, you want to help do anything, right? Like, who wants to erase the whiteboard, well, blackboard back then, and chalkboard, oh, me, you know, and who wants to, you know, be our hall monitor, me, and um, but I remember the teacher called me and said, would you like to, we, want, we need your help. And I said, yeah. And um, they said, well, there are these two new kids that are coming to our school, and we need you to be their friend and help them. And I was like, oh, yeah, wow. And the whole time I'm thinking, it must be because I'm such a good kid. Um, you know, I, I've made such an impression. But I found out that these kids, these two kids, brother and sister, had just immigrated from Korea, and they showed up at the school, and no one could communicate with them. And so they said, hey, uh, you know, come on, can you help? And so now I had to try to translate in my broken Korean um, and try to help them. And I remember being so embarrassed about it, right? Like, I remember being so concerned. What does everyone think? Does everyone think that I'm Korean? You know, like, I remember being so worried. Like, did I, do I stand out? Um, you know, I wasn't worried like they're, they were impressed. Oh, he's bilingual. Wow, he's, you know, wow, he's uh, very cultured. No, I was more afraid like, oh, he's a, he's a fob too. Oh my gosh. Like, and he's, um, and I remember being so embarrassed and just like um, barely trying to talk to them and help them. Um, and I said, it, it's embarrassing. It, it wasn't a, a big deal, but we've, we've been there, right? When we've been trying to have an opportunity to help someone. Um, I also remember in high school, my freshman year, I moved to a brand new high school, didn't, didn't continue from the junior high I went to, and so I had moved and, uh, to Southern California, started high school. My freshman year didn't have any friends, like zero friends. And you know, lunch is a very scary time when you have zero friends in high school. And I remember there and just like, wow, what am I going to do? Who, where am I going to sit? Where do I belong? And um, I remember I met a guy the, next couple, the first week of school in one of my classes. Um, found that he was a senior. Right? Like, you know, in high school, when you're a freshman, a senior seems like a grown, like he had a mustache and he was big. He smelled like a man. You know, like he was like a man. And he was like, hey, Steve, what's up? And he befriended me. Now, it says a whole lot that he was in the same class as a freshman. You know, I mean, that's a whole nother bit. Um, either, I, you know, or I was accelerated or... Um, he was a little less accelerated, but he said, hey, hey, man, um, you want a ride to school? And I thought this was the coolest thing. I said, you want to offer me a ride? I used to walk, everyone you drive by, and I used to walk about 25 minutes to school. You're going to offer me a ride? And I remember getting a ride. I remember being so proud that I got a ride with a senior who was my friend. And, you know, when I was a senior, I didn't even talk to a friend. I didn't know one freshman, you know, like, get out of here. Like, get out of my way. Don't sit here. You know, you think about that. We've all been in those positions. Even back in junior high, elementary, we've all been there. You had an opportunity to help someone. Or you had the opportunity where someone above you, better than you, older than you, richer than you, is now saying, come, can you be my friend? And how that felt. Here, we're talking about loving the weak. 
Loving the weak. Um, we're talking about all the categories of people we ought to be loving, and today we look at loving the weak. It is our nature to love the strong. It is our, uh, it just, it's just really normal to love someone who is famous. If someone calls you and says, can you go and be a host to so-and-so? You know, this famous person's coming to town. You know, Steph Curry is going to be here. Can you take him to lunch after church? You go, oh, yeah, well, well, I'll go. You know, we'll go, right? But then if someone that's weak, someone who's unknown, someone who is different comes and says, can you hang out? And says, oh, I can't. I'm kind of busy. Hey, think about that for a moment. And here, this is what the Zechariah, in a part of the Bible we may not go to as often, in the Minor Prophets in Zechariah, he addresses this. And he tells the listener, he says, you need to go and be with these people who are weaker than you. You've got to anticipate that and you've got to take care of them. It is far more natural to love those who are stronger, better, prettier, richer, but to go towards someone who's weak. And this is what makes Christianity so appealing. That God Almighty had become weak in the form of a man, born in a manger next to animals, rode on a donkey that was rented, that wasn't his. And this is the beauty of what our faith stands for, that he came to the weak, and now we are called to go to the weak. Um, we see here, I just want to give us a little background on Zechariah. Zechariah was a, a prophet. He's one of the minor prophets that we see in the Bible. He is a contemporary of um, Haggai with a book right before. And both of them were prophets during the time when Israel was taken over by Babylon. The Babylonian Empire took them over. Remember 70 years, Daniel, the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, all of that. So they were in exile for 70 years, and this is the post-exile time. And this is where Zechariah comes in. God calls Zechariah to preach to the people of God as they are coming back now into Israel, into their home. For 70 years, they were living in another land. They were, learned to, uh, they were forced to learn another language, another culture. And this was a punishment, ultimately, from God that the Babylonian Empire took them over. But now, post-exile, he says, let me talk to you. Now, can you imagine being taken over by another country, having to go live there for 70 years, a lifetime, and then you get to finally come back home? Can you imagine the chaos that would happen? Can you imagine the people that would come and how hungry they would be, a dog-eat-dog -dog world, survival of the fittest, because you're going to go back, there is nothing claimed, and you have to hurry up and get your land. I've got to make sure I got my fertile ground so I could have food. i got to go and settle down. And so everyone's mindset at this time is just survival of the fittest. i got to go in, and i got to settle in, and the stronger ones are going to get what is due to them, and they're going to come in. And then God sends Zechariah and says, hey, hey, those of you who are going back, don't be, don't forget why you got punished. You know, this passage, right, in verse 5, he talks about the ritual that was empty, right? Verse 5 and 6, he talks about fasting and feasting. All of these were uh, religious duties that they had, fasting and feasting. They would remember different things. And he says, did you do it for me or did you do it for yourself? What he's saying is all of your religious rituals that you're doing, if you don't have compassion and love for those who are weaker than you, because these are empty, these are meaningless. Um, and we have to, this is very sobering for us today, isn't it? We come to church and, you know, it, so, you know, sometimes we go to church and you feel very good about it. And sometimes we act different if people are watching us. 
Now, I have to, I'll admit something. And um, this is true, and I'm just going to drag all the pastors in the world with me. Like, this is all true for all the pastors in the world, right? We all do this. So I, I'm not just going down by myself. I'm just, just telling on you about all of them. You go eat a meal. Usually, I am the designated prayer before the meal. Like, he's the guy that's going to pray. So every time I eat with someone, oh, can you pray? Even in our community group, before we eat, oh, pastor, can you pray? And so I pray. And all pastors do this. I do this. When it's a public prayer in front of people, my prayer is a lot longer. I cover a lot more topics, right? <laughs> Versus when I pray before in and out. Oh, thank you, God, for in and out. I, you know, like animals, I'll oh, thank you. But when I'm praying, I'm praying for um, the blessing on the home that I'm sitting in. I'm blessing for the hands that cook this food, that you bless those hands. I'm praying for nourishment to my body and all of the body. It's obvious that you're going to be nourished, but we pray for that. Um, I mean, I go down the list. And then I say, amen. Why? Because I'm more concerned about those who are going to listen to my prayer than God himself, right? So, and, I, and then those who are there, and they're thinking, oh, that was, that was a pastor's prayer, man. That was satisfactory. Like, that was good. I'm going to go to his church. Like, that was good. And it wasn't too long, but by golly, it wasn't too short. I mean, it was just right. He covered all the bases, you know, the hands that prepare the food, the house that's hosting it, and nourishment to my body. Oh, he just covered. This is the right way to pray if you've been in the church. Versus sitting by myself, oh, Lord, thank you. I've got to get to work and eat real quick and do work. Um, we sometimes do that in our worship. Sometimes we do that in our life of church. You know, that awkward moment when everyone is supposed to be praying and you happen to make eye contact with someone. Oh, no, you know, like, I caught you, you caught me, like, oh, something in my eye, right? And um, why we do what we do, and he says, if you're fasting, and they were fasting, it was a ritual, they did it on the right times, the right times of the year. If your fasting is done just for yourself, just to appease yourself, just to make yourself feel good, because it's, it's worthless. If you're feasting, when you are now feasting, and you are celebrating God's goodness, and you're doing it not for the Lord, but just for yourself, you're doing it in an empty manner. And when we come to church, and this is a very difficult thing, when we come to church, and we go through the motions, and we do church... But we do not care for those who are weak. He says, it is empty. And so we're called to do this, right? Um, to not do it for ourselves. In verse 6, in verse 5, are you doing it for yourselves? Are you doing it for yourselves? No, we're doing it, obviously, for the Lord. And he, he says, let's go back and let's remember when Israel inhabited the land. And he, in verse 7, he says, you remember when they inhabited and it was prosperous, he warns, he says, don't come rushing back in from Babylon and don't come, in, don't come back in and maybe in a few years you will become prosperous like you were 70 some years ago. And when you are pro prosperous then, you did not listen. The punishment of 70 years came because you did not listen. You know, when we are prosperous, when our stomachs are full, when things are going well, when we feel like everything is under control, it's, it's harder to listen to God. It's harder to seek God. We go through the motions often. We go do it because people are watching, because it's expected of us. Right? And he says, don't remember. Don't be like that, he says. When Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous with her cities all around her, south of the lowlands, everywhere is inhabited. There's a lot of people. Things are going well. And at that time, you forgot God. And he says here, you need to remember the weak. You need to remember the weak. And he, in verse 10, he comes up with these four categories. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. 
and let none of you devise evil against um, another in your heart. Now, those four groups, can you imagine in those days when you are settling down, saying, this is my lot, here is the history that I have, and when someone is an orphan, they have no papers. They have no rights to any land. They, have no, they are homeless. Can you imagine a widow who, they're not allowed to work because they're women often, and they didn't have the rights that the men had, and so they often end up becoming beggars. Can you imagine the sojourner who comes into the land and says, I don't speak the language, I don't know the culture, I don't have a place, and the poor. These are four groups of people. If you help them, you get zero in return. Zero. And all of us think this way, whether it's the kid that we eat lunch with at school or the, the one that gives us a ride, or the ones that are at work. We're often calculating to think, where do they rank on this spectrum? Am I going to get something out of this, or are they just a zero return? And you really, this is the beauty of the Christian religion. This is why the gospel is so beautiful. Because all, all of our good deeds are like filthy rags. So they're all worthless to God. So when God gives his son, he gets zero in return from us that's of any value. It's zero. And this is the gospel message. So he's saying, now you are thinking, I'm going to get nothing back. I could have that poor person over my house, and I'm never going to get a meal in return. And no one is going to pat me on the back if I go and bring the sojourner into my home or I go spend time with them. If I give my money to this orphan, I'm never going to get it back. And that was the truth. It was going to be a bad investment of time and money. And he says, yet you are called to do this as a people of God. Um, how should we do this, right? How important it is. Uh, how important is it that we do this? How should we do this? Let me just go over this list that we looked at here. Um, in verse 9, the three ways that we ought to treat the weak. It says here, um, three ways, true judgment, show kindness, show mercy, right? Those are the three that we see in our outline. Those are the three we see in verse 9. He says to render now true judgments. The word judgments is sometimes translated justice. Um, we love judgments and justice, don't we? We love it when someone who does something bad gets caught. There's nothing satisfying like that kind of justice. And we say, boy, it is so good. We, there are movies and there are stories and we love it when the bad guys get what is due to them. Why does this world you know, love so much the concept of karma? Oh, karma got him, karma's got him, yeah. The universe. Um, because there's a sense deep inside we love justice. But there's another part of justice that's very important. Another part of justice is not only getting the bad guys to pay up, but it's also to take care of those who are in need, to make sure their rights are fulfilled. Right? Those who are poor, they said, make sure you leave some uh, for them. You ought to practice justice in this way. You leave some of the land for those who are now poor. They could go into the land and get some food. Um, to the priests who are working in the temple, make sure you practice justice towards them that they end up getting some of the share of the things that you bring. So the idea is to help those who are in need, to make sure their rights are fulfilled. Um, so... For some of you who are now above someone at work, you have to practice good judgment by saying, I have to treat you in an equitable way. 
Those of you, if, if the, someone who is practicing the law now is going to administer justice, they have to now practice it in a fair way to those who deserve it. It's a, hey, you were supposed to get a day off, you should get a day off. You know, if you were supposed to now get credit for this work, I'm going to give you credit for it if I have the power. That also is judgment. So he says, render true judgment. Do both. Because when you are rich and you, and you are hungry and you're coming into the land, you're going to say what's mine is mine and you're going to try to get as much as you can because these are the times. But remember to, re remember to take care of these four groups. So practice judgment in this way. The second thing he says is to show kindness. It's interesting because kindness has to be shown. You have to demonstrate it, right? Kindness isn't kindness if you feel it or if it's deep down inside. Don't be the person, and we, we know people like this. You've been to funeral services like this, where people have come up and said, you know, oh, he's tough on the outside. But when you go deep down, I mean, really deep down, I mean, you really dig deep into the bottom corner, dark parts of the heart, he is a kind person. Like, don't, that's not kindness. Kindness is not something hidden deep down inside with a frown right here that no one knows. I don't say anything. I'm not an encouraging type. I don't say hi to new people. I'm not an extrovert. Then you got to demonstrate it some way. Well, deep down inside, I have feelings. No, those are just feelings, right? Those are just feelings. It's about showing it. So this, is, this word is used in different times and um, all throughout Genesis when someone would offer water to the cattle for uh, Abraham's uh, servants. You know, in Genesis 24, for example, it's used as kindness because they literally gave water to someone who was thirsty. It was an act that was done in this way. So show kindness, roll up your sleeves and do something. And thirdly, he says to show mercy. The word mercy here is the idea um, and it goes hand in hand with kindness and mercy. Kindness is the action, the outer stuff. But the mercy in the literal Hebrew, and the commentators all talk about this, is, is the moving of the bottom of our stomach. Like it comes from the bowels. It comes deep inside. And the Bible talks about loving God with your heart. And this, but this word here is saying, man, from the deepest part of your humanity, you are moved now we're talking about our emotions, we're talking about our will, we're talking about how this is affecting my life decision in this way. Um, so when Joseph in Genesis 43, for example, had compassion, the ESV says in verse 30, Genesis 43, 30, he had compassion on his brother. But in the King James, it's very literal, the King James will say, Joseph made haste for his bowels did yearn upon his brother. The idea that man, it was, he was moved from the inside. And sometimes we can do the things without the hearts or the bowels. And we can go and do the right things, say the right things without any movement here, um, and action here. You know, uh, sometimes we learn from the young ones, don't we, as we get older. The little video I wanted to show you, two minutes, it talks about a group of fifth graders demonstrating justice in a simple way, and, um, and I'm going to wrap up after, but let's show this, could we? at Franklin Elementary start every day with the pledge. Indivisible. The justice for all belongs to five fifth grade boys. Why pick on someone who needs, has special needs? Yeah. They're talking about James Wilmer. I 
is who learns a little differently was than most of the other fifth graders coins they're like using them which it turns out and taking advantage of them can get a guy Point, because he's easier to pick on, and it's just not right. Which is why Gus, Six. Tyler, Landon, Jake, and Jack <laughs> decided this year to have James's back. It really kind of makes you proud to be their teacher. Mallory Hauk says the school's anti-bullying lessons must have struck a chord. Landon! But this has gone beyond even her expectations. Thank you. James's mom's. He used to not want to go out for recess or anything. It would be like a struggle. And now he can barely eat his lunch to get outside to play with those guys. <laughs> he has a notebook with over oh. 600 teams of college. Gustavus Adolphus. That's how much he likes sports. Nebraska. They learned, too, that James was adopted from an orphanage in Columbia and that six years later he lost his new father, in a bicycle accident. And we just got a basketball hoop last week because he now loves basketball. I mean, they're changing him. And they're still not done. We're like, do you have any sports games? He's like, and he was like, no, I don't have any video game systems. So that's when I came up with the idea. With some of their own money and some from their parents, the boys recently delivered to James video games and a new PlayStation. Every one of them was smiling like crazy. The first time friends had ever come to play with James. All right. Um, man, lessons from a kid, right? From these fifth graders. And I share this with you because I think we can be the ones that have all the answers. And at the end of this passage, right, he says here, don't turn your shoulder away, right? In verse um, 11, you know, they refuse, he talks about the Israelites. Seven years ago, they refused to pay attention, turn the stubborn shoulders, stop their ears that they might not hear, and they made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear the law. They, they turned away, and they ended up getting sent out to exile for 70 years. He says, don't, don't do this. The, the turning of the shoulder was a term that was used towards uh, the beasts of the field, when they were trying to put the yoke on them to guide them in the right way, and they would, there would be the stubborn ones that would turn and say, I'm going this way, and, and the, the owner's like, no, you got to turn this way. we got to work the ground this way, and they would turn and stay turned in that way. Closing of the years, he says, right? Think about this. Out of all the senses, the one thing we can't do is physically close our ears. We close our eyes, we close our mouth, but we can't close our ears, but he's saying, You've closed it, not on the outside, because you don't have lids for them, per se, but you've closed it in the heart. And then he points to the heart. He says, your hearts are hard as like a diamond. It's hard. And so you hear this. And Zechariah is delivering this to the people of God. You hear this over and over about loving the weak and helping these people. And you've heard it so many times. And it goes in, out the other. It doesn't penetrate the heart. He says, you've got to soften the heart. And Jesus Christ gives us a new, new heart. One of the things, if you've been coming to Crossway, you've heard it now. We have our 6-8 initiative. It happens every, uh, all the time. It's nothing big and it's nothing fancy, but it's a simple way for us to go and do something. Simple. And it's really not even that difficult, right? So don't even, and so like we have something today, we have a picnic with a group of teenagers who don't have parents. 
for whatever reason. Um, Tuesday, we're going to go to a soup kitchen, and we're going to feed people in Fullerton who can't go to a restaurant and pick what they want to drink. They're, they're grateful to get what they're, what's given to them, whatever their circumstances. And sometimes those of us, I'm like that. I'm like, well, but they, you know, they, this was their, and whatever it is, they're still begging for food in this way. And Saturday, we have opportunities to go to serve the people. And you go and you give away groceries that you wouldn't buy. You would return because there was something wrong with it. And we're giving that. And I want to give you, I want to challenge you to just go and do something. And I'm not, don't even pray about it, okay? This is like an, two hours a week. Like, so don't, don't pray, God, should I? God, you have time, okay? Just, just a little bit of sleep or a little bit less football or a little bit less whatever you're watching. Don't even pray. But just say, okay, let's, let's go try something. And get in the midst of these four groups of people. And can you imagine the church that has been beloved by God in this way now going to love? This is who Jesus Christ was to us. And I close with this thought. That he was born with nothing in a manger. He went to the cross and the last thing he had was the clothes he was wearing. That's all he owned. He became poor. The richest of all. The king of kings became nothing for us. And so now he says, follow my footsteps. You're Christians. That's pretty simple to do. I say, well, I guess I just got to follow your model. I got to help people who can't help me back and make that a part of my life. And we ought to love the weak in this way. My prayer for us, for you, is don't let your hearts get hardened. Ask God to keep it soft. Don't let your ears get closed to these messages, these passages, these stories. Open up your ears. And don't turn your shoulder the other way when God is saying, well, I want you to go and sit down with this person. Some of you in school, tomorrow you go to school, I hope that there is someone eaten by themselves you know no one wants to sit next to. And I hope when you're walking by, you hear my voice. Hey, you should sit with them. You're like, oh my gosh, why did we have family service? Pastor Steve told me. Oh, and I hope you struggle. And then you say, okay, I'm going to sacrifice my lunch and sit with this guy and befriend them. Could we be that kind of church? You make a difference wherever you are at. Let's pray together. God, what a wonderful passage this is. Lord, it convicts our hearts because all of us, Lord, lack in this area. So we want to now um, do our best as a church on a personal level and as a church to go out, to, to deal and to care and to hear the stories of those who don't have much to love and to give to, do, to those who cannot give any back. The essence of the gospel, we want to live that out here. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.